I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Noongar people. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. The wines have this incredible ability to show generosity and power, yet be pulled back in with this incredible fine line and and acid really tightens up the palate and gives it gives the wines incredible energy and I think that's a that's a beautiful combination when you think about you know great wines of the world. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Franklin Estate is a family affair. Located in the remote Great Southern of Western Australia, their little slice of grape growing heaven is called the Franklin River region. Here, the self-sufficient, pioneering family have established themselves as one of Australia's most exciting wine estates. And today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Hunter Smith. Hi, Hunter. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Shante. Thank you. Pleasure's mine. And well, I'm so glad that we got you. Hunter, we have around about four thousand kilometers stretch between where you and I are today. Just for all our listeners, can you tell us what what are you looking out on today? Where are you joining us from? So I'm actually sitting on a veranda and um which has a beautiful view um to the to the northeast and um down across the hillside and um Franklin River's probably famous for its um, rich farming land, high rainfall farming land. But um, obviously in the late 50s, early 60s, um, you know, vineyards started popping up. And so I'm looking down over our isolation ridge vineyard that surrounds the winery itself. And um, there's fog, uh, fog down in the valleys and, um, you know, the vines are starting to lose their leaves and as we head towards pruning. So very picturesque, cool morning. Sounds idyllic to me. I want to talk a bit about um, the Franklin Estate, how Franklin Estate came about, and then we'll get to kind of your part in it. So can you give us a little background because it is such an important estate and you've got so many fans. So we want to hear all about where this wonderful idea came about. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it's an interesting one. My father was, um, he grew up on a vineyard in the Riverland of South Australia. And, you know, in his late teenage years, you know, that was his playground, I suppose, water skiing, um, you know, on the Murray and and um, hanging out in South Australia. And, and so wine, wine was very much part of, well, grape growing was very much part of his growing up. And, um, you know, wine drinking became very much a part of um, his hobby, I suppose. And, and um, his family left the Riverland and came to Western Australia. And my grandfather settled on a war service settlement place down in Franklin River. Um, or just down the road, actually, Rocky Gully to be exact. But um, we're only talking 15 kilometres there. But um, he he was um, selling real estate in Perth and my mother was um, doing radiology in Perth and they met um, and they would do these weekend trips to um, my grandfather's, my father's father's farm, um, down in Rocky Gully, and they would um, they saw a property for sale on one of these trips and decided that they should look at buying it and with the aim of potentially moving down and farming, you know. And I'm talking back then it was all mostly sheep grazing, fine wool 
merino wool production, uh, which we still do a little bit of, but that's a different story. Um, and they look, they um, they fell in love with the property, um, and wool was going through some good times, and they. Um, purchased another property across the road, and then finally, um, the the third property, which was just a little further, four kilometres up on top of the hill, which is where we now are, where I'm now sitting today, and where the Isolation Ridge Vineyard is. So, we're talking in the 19, you know, about 1974. My father and mother bought this property, and for many years it was sheep grazing, uh, wheat wheat canola production uh, and then in 1988 after I suppose you know my parents still having this passion for drinking wine and um, you know all things wine they'd spent a number of years going backwards and forwards to Europe and particularly Bordeaux um, immersing themselves and actually doing vintages in Bordeaux and then um, really as a hobby um, and then my father started doing a few vintages with local producers like Plantagenet Wines, which were newly established at the time. And and um, they made the decision in 1988 to plant a small vineyard. So originally that was a, a, not quite a hectare of Riesling, a hectare of Chardonnay, two hectares of Shiraz, um, a two hectares of Cabernet Sauvignon and a hectare of Cabernet Franc. And that was the original plantings in 88. Um, and so that was, yeah, really the start of it. Um, I, I don't think they really knew what they were getting themselves into. And, 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 you know, I think the big thing here is that, you know, there was a couple of vineyards in the area, but really in the great seven back in 1988, wine growing was, was, um, not the norm in the region and so they had to overcome all these challenges around you know starting a winery um the the first the you know the concrete was poured in the middle of the isolation ridge vineyard um in 1992 ready for the 93 harvest so yeah you know all these Things that uh, all these challenges around producing wine in a very remote location became very real very quickly for them. But um, yeah, it was, um, it, it, you know, speaking to them, they wouldn't change a moment of that. Um, but, you know, one of the things I would say, you, you know, I think really has stayed true to our business and, and to our philosophy around wine is, you know, their exposure to, you know, and their willingness to travel and be exposed to such great wineries and estates around the world throughout Europe, particularly um, in the early 80s in particular. Um, you know, they really felt a passion for these wineries that were focused on making wines that expressed a true sense of place. And, and I think that's something that's very much held true to us all the way through the journey. And, and one of the things that drives us around making the wines in the location we make them. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they went straight to Bordeaux. I mean, fantastic decision, I suppose, to, to really see um, <laughs> and immerse themselves in winemaking. But Harold Olmo was a big part of um, 
you know, had a big impact on viticulture in the region and, you know, saw the potential of some of those kind of Bordeaux varieties there. Um, what has been your, you know, experience for the region with Harold Olmo? It's, 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 I just think it's a bit of a nice story and I haven't had anyone tell it yet. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it was interesting. You know, Harold Olmo was sort of um, becoming more and more regarded through that, you know, through the 50s with his particular, I mean, his big claim to fame was um, really coming up with a clone of Chardonnay that, you know, made the Napa Valley um, produce consistently good yielding Chardonnay um, that really put Napa Valley as a core producing region of California. And so that industry obviously went from strength to strength and as did his reputation around the world. And, you know, I think later was dubbed the Indiana Jones of viticulture and travelled, you know, to extraordinary places to look at varietals and clones of of grapes um, from all over the world. Um, but thankfully for Western Australia, he was invited by the Agricultural Society back in 1955 um, to come to Western Australia and help the Swan Valley with some issues they were having with um, their grape growing. And that was, you know, reduced vine vigour and a few things. And he quickly pointed out that there was a nematode issue in the soils and that, you know, with some cultivation and some good viticultural practices, they would, you know, they would remedy those. But he did say to the government at the time, well, you know, you should look at cooler climates for good, you know, good grape production to make fine, you know, fine table wines. So really, um, so they asked him to stay on in the state and spend more time and he travelled down through the southwest and I suppose was the first person to put a flag in the ground in the upper reaches of the Franklin River, which in his little um, uh, publication he put out in 1956 says that you know the upper reaches of the franklin river region would be the ideal location based on soil types rainfall climatic data and you know drew a connection to that of bordeaux and i think now with with you know so that was really uh, the first acknowledgement of you know how successful this region might be and it was just further down the road in mount barker that um a year or so later, the first sort of commercial vineyard was planted. Um, so, you know, being a year, couple of years before the Margaret River, in fact. So, you know, there, there, it's a nice little story there that of his early acknowledgement of how good the region was. And when my parents started researching, you know, if there was merit in planting a vineyard at Franklin Estate, you know, they quickly came across his... Um, recommendations from the, you know, state library, where his little booklet is um, is today. So yeah, look, it's a nice little story, and I think one that I, you know, many of the growers in Franklin River and and in fact, in fact, ourselves are, are you know very grateful for. Definitely, especially for that that foresight and and for you know being the first one to stick your neck out and say so. And you've obviously paid homage to that with your almost reward, one of my favourite wines of yours. Um, but let's talk 
a little bit about where where you got involved. Um, like we said, you know, Franklin Estate is a family affair. But when did you decide that, you know, wine was going to be the path for you and that you wanted to continue on and, and see that legacy forward? Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of came quite late to me in a way in that, you know, when you um, when you grow up in a vineyard and your parents are saying, come on, let's go at six o'clock on a winter's morning and it's, you know, four degrees outside and they're encouraging you to, you know, get out there and prune grapevines. Um, you know, I I always thought to myself, God, there's got to be something better to do with one's life. Um, but, and so I, and, and my parents were very encouraging. I mean, you know, Franklin River is extraordinarily remote place in anyone's language. And I, you know, they were, very encouraging to get out there and see the rest of Australia and, in fact, the rest of the world. And so, you know, it wasn't on my radar really that, you know, this was an opportunity or, you know, something to just necessarily go back to or be involved with. So I, um, although I love the land, you know, we grew up in, a, in an amazing place uh, and, you know, as young people, as young children, you know, I'd ride, you know, we'd have our horses and I'd ride our horses with my rabbit traps hanging off the saddle and, you know, we'd do a little lap and catch rabbits and, you know, do all these sort of very um, rural things that I think have, when I look back and it really entrenched me into really loving where where we are, you know, what Franklin River is and what the region is, um, this, you know, core roots back to um, the land. And I think, you know, having such a great experience, as, experience growing up as a child, you know, in this location um, inevitably has brought me back here and wanting my children to experience that same thing. Um, but fundamentally, I left school thinking I'd become an architect and did fine arts for a year and got a little bit um, despondent with that, I suppose, and not knowing what to do, headed off um, working on broad acre farms in central New South Wales and, and then southern New South Wales and ended up going to business school down in Victoria and spent three years doing that and worked uh, briefly for 12 months at uh, Rabobank in a in a in an office in Melbourne, and loved it. I actually really enjoyed that, and I thought there's a future here for me. And before I got stuck into that, I thought I'd go travelling overseas, in which I hadn't been overseas at the time, and promptly ran out of money. Um, and the only thing I really knew how to do and wanted to do, I didn't want, you know, a lot of my mates were, you know, pouring beer at a bar or the, m making cocktails. I was sort of more um, keen to stay outdoors. And, and so I found myself a job with a good friend of the family's, um, Eric Salomon, in the Kremstall of Austria. And... Um, working in his winery for vintage and and it was really simply a means to an end to fun on onward travels but quickly got immersed um, in what he was doing and certainly seeing his incredible passion for his craft and 
and you know making such a great success of quite a small industry which a small business really which was not the norm in Australia in the late 80s you know people quickly grew into quite big production facilities and you know businesses got bigger and bigger and I I really thought wow this is you know this guy's running an incredible business but he's also so incredibly passionate about it and you know would come to the winery and he'd look you know very tired and I'd say you're right Eric and he'd say oh you know there's I think there's rain coming and, you know, I can feel it and all these sort of things and you'd like, uh, you know, he clearly hasn't slept well. Um, but <laughs> but in fact, you know, two or three days later the rain would come and, and, you know, he, I honestly believe he could feel it. You know, he just incredibly connected to his vineyards, in, into his surroundings and, and what he was doing with his life. And, and um, yeah, that, that had an enormous... Um, impact on me i i must say and and was really probably the turning point of saying you know gosh you know this is this is something i'd like to be involved with for the rest of my life and so that's how it sort of came about and from there i went down to germany and worked um briefly for bernard breuer um you know, um, on the edge of the Rheingau and, and um, you know, travelled extensively visiting producers through Germany and down through the south of France and spending, a, you know, doing a few more vintages and, uh, and yeah, the rest sort of fell into place and I returned, returned back to Franklin in 2000 um, and my, my sister Elizabeth, um, who I now share the business with, um you know, she she was she had already just returned home, and um, you know, like me, her passion was to be involved with the wine industry as well. So, we both sort of landed back in the wine business, and probably, you know, I, initially I thought I'll just help with vintage and then look for a job in in the Australian industry somewhere um, and probably just saw the opportunity and how great, you know, the the landscape was for fine, fine wine production in Franklin River and thought, wow, gee. And we quickly, you know, sourced them, you know, old, we found a couple of very small rundown vineyards of Riesling vineyards and, you know, Eric, Eric, sort of really did show me at Salomon, um, you know, how unique little vineyards can throw such a strong sense of place and, um, you know, have this transparency of 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 the soil. And, and, you know, I think he made at the time about 14 different single vineyard wines. And I thought this is ridiculous when I first went in there and then came out fully converted that <laughs> that in fact was the thing um and so look we we found a couple of little vineyard sites around franklin and you know they were small you know one was one and a half hectares another was three hectares poison hill vineyard which we still do today um and you know pruned them and got them back into production and and you know saw quite quickly how prominent they can express their own unique um, characteristics and and I suppose that in itself led to you know further thinking how do we make that expression of sight even more 
true and 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 you know ongoing travels around the world and in fact my experience with Salomon and other German growers and south of France you know all these guys back, even back then talked a lot about organics and we started seriously thinking about organic wine production and so 2006 probably the wettest year in the history of Franklin River <laughs> um, we decided <laughs> we decided to take on organics and probably very naively initially but look in fact it wasn't long before we were fully um, on board with it and thinking this would and I and I still say today I think you know the decision to to become organic and fully certified organic um, has been one of the best decisions that our business has made um, in the history of its business you know of our business so you know all these things sort of slowly evolved and um, yeah today I mean um, my sister Elizabeth and her husband Brian, uh, Brian Kent. He um, he joined us in 2010, and so today we're you know the three of us are a very tight, tight knit, you know, f very focused, very determined um, trio. That you know, uh, you know, um, our days are all encompassed by, <laughs> by wine. <laughs> so and that's not a bad thing to bring people together. No, Just um, for people listening as well, talking about your parents, um, Barry Smith and Judy Callum, which where we get the Smith Callum from. Um, and then, you, like you said, you've got yourself and uh, your sister Elizabeth and her husband who are taking care of the kind of bit of culture and um, kind of side of things. Uh, it, you know, I've got a blended family and we're very close and a lot of people find it um, quite bizarre. But I think that when it works, it can work. And like you said, when you've all got wine as the kind of, you know, the 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 core that brings you together, um, I can see how it can completely work. But you all live on site. Is that correct? Yeah, well, we. I mean, we're separated probably by four or five kilometres, you know, either way. I mean, where I'm, you know, I live just behind the vineyard um, and then Elizabeth and Brian are, you know, up the road a bit and across the road on their property and then my parents are four and a half kilometres down the road on their original property. So we have our, you know, we we do have our space and, and um, but, but no, you know, look, I think the reality is we've just been so bloody determined to make this all work um, and know how you know having traveled i think you know we we say i think we added it up over a, a magnum of wine one night that you know combined we bring together about 160 vintages of experience and we all sit around the kitchen table or the or the boardroom table as we call our rustic table in our one of our offices um but you know it's an incredible amount of knowledge from experience gathered from all over the world and 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 I think with that we've been able to really ask ourselves the hard questions you know what does what do our wine you know what is unique about our wines what what do we want our wine story to be about and you know vineyard site is the one thing that no one else can replicate and and beyond that I think um you know, true immersion in 
the vineyard site. You know, we we don't have, <laughs> you know, it's um, four hours to our local, you know, to our local nightclub or, uh, uh, you know, um, you know, a couple of hours to a, the good, a good restaurant scene or, you know, so we, when we're in Franklin, we we live and breathe it. You know, we're 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 out there. Um, you know, we hear the rain fall on the roof every night. We hear, you know, that we we feel the the intensity of the sun or the you know the coldness of the mornings or you know all these things, and we take that. Um, you know, we we take that and, and work with it. You know, we we adapt. Every season is different. We adapt accordingly and nurture our vines through and and take all the knowledge that we have and and i think that is what probably that philosophy along with our piece of dirt is is what's unique you know and and that's what we try and put on the table so to speak um for people to enjoy yeah i think that that's yeah. been very successful um and I'll talk a little bit about your single sites a bit later as well. But uh, there's someone that we didn't mention, and that is Gladys, another family member. Who's Gladys? <laughs> Gladys, Gladys the guinea fowl um, came to prominence uh, very early on in the piece when um, Judy and Barry had some help from um, a writing uh, writer. Um, marketing friend of theirs and said, you know, you guys have got to tell a bit more of your story about, you know, <laughs> where, um, your you know, cr- environmental credentials and, and what's happening in the vineyard. And for quite a, quite a while there, there was a blog, there was a blog on the website from Gladys who would uh, update, update the world on the goings on of, you know, Franklin Estate uh, viticultural um you know um, what was happening out in the vineyards, etc. So, you know that was a, all a bit of fun. And and um, look, Gladys, um, there's a new Gladys that comes in, you know, every so often um, as as the generations of guinea fowls have come and gone. But we still use them very much in our, you know, important part of pest control, I suppose, yeah. out in the vineyard. So, yeah, look, you could be starting the new wave of the guinea fowl. You know, wine guinea fowl of the of Australia, and a new book could or calendar could be published. So we'll just let everyone know it started here. Uh, yeah, exactly. Talking about organic certification and and also your single sites, I think that's been something incredibly strong that I've always seen from Franklin Estate. That um, you you like you said, you always had a focus on talking about why Poison Hill was different to Isolation Ridge, and and that has come across very clearly. Um, but it doesn't surprise me that, you know, after your experience with some of the winemakers you have, why Riesling's always been such a strong suit for you all. I, ha- I happen to think that there's probably no better expression of Riesling in Australia at this time. So tell me about your experience with Riesling over the years. And I also want to touch, if you don't mind, on, on uh, Shiraz or Syrah as well, if we can. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think <clears throat> um, it was interesting. Riesling sort of evolved from, you know, Judy Judy and Barry planted the original vineyard a little under a hectare and the recommendation was that don't plant too much reasoning because you'll find it hard to sell. And, you know, this is 88, 
you know, 91 was their first release. By the time they got to 93, they started to appreciate what people were saying. And my mother and father felt that it was such a shame that people didn't understand, you know, these fantastic dry Rieslings, not only of Franklin Estate and Isolation Ridge, but, you know, of, you know, globally. And so Judy set about, asking some friends that they'd met on their travels and Eric Salomon was one of those guys that, you know, Bernard Breuer and all the, you know, uh, Helmut Donhoff and, um, um, you know, yeah, all these, all these great producers of Riesling around the world, Ernie Luzon, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But um, she, you know, wrote them a letter and asked them would they be interested in coming to Australia to showcase their beautiful Rieslings and and which, you know, there was some sort of, um, I suppose, you know, um, in, yeah, absolute interest in, but they thought Australia, really, of all the places in the world to sell our Rieslings. Um, and, you know, a number of those guys came down and we, Judy, established the first Franklin Estate International Riesling Tasting, which became a biannual event and then triannual, um, really showcasing these amazing Rieslings. And, and at the time, you know, a lot of people just didn't have the uh, awareness and understanding of how great these wines were. Now, today, it's a totally different story. People totally get it. These wines are totally sought after and totally sold out well before they're produced. Um, but you know, back then it was a bit of a novelty for these guys to travel out to Australia, and and to, and you know, really for Judy, you know, you know, hats off to her. You know, some of these guys, you know, I remember speaking to Philip Wittman when he was last in Australia, and he said, you know, it is incredible. The Australian market is, um, you know, our second largest export market behind America. I mean that. That's phenomenal, you know, and and so you know, um, so look, they, I, I think Australians really now do understand this varietal. I think there's still much more awareness still to go. It's a really exciting varietal, but on top of that, I should say that um, Judy also established Judy and Barry also established um, and a Riesling scholarship, and that was something back in. The late 90s, Patrick Walsh, our now distributor of Sellerham Wines, won for the first time. And he set off around Europe. You know, his prize was a trip to Europe. And he set off around Europe and, um, and, and like Judy and Barry, fell in love with some of these people and their wines and, and um, started importing them. And today, you know, obviously Sellerham runs one of the, you know, great, importing businesses of Australia, small boutique importing businesses of Australia. And, and um, you know, owes a lot of that to Judy, as he says, uh, <laughs> but um, Judy and Barry. So, look, I mean, it's been a fantastic story and and um, the the friendship and the camaraderie of, you know, our, our Riesling um, producers around the globe have really, I suppose, fast-tracked for Franklin Estate, the knowledge and and the end wines that we now produce. Um, 
so that that's always been a very special story for us. Um, and then tied into that, I suppose, um, coming back to your question about Sarah, I mean, Sarah really um, has been an interesting journey for us and one where I think the wines today are as good as they've ever been in that we've, you know, we've we were there in the early 2000s when America was taking Australian Shiraz and, and you know, a lot from Barossa and McLaren Vale and these, you know, quite, um, you know, bigger styles, you know, powerful wines, um, you know, uh, and also some of the bigger, fruitier styles. Um, and and Franklin Estate, I've got to say, you know, we, you know, you know even from Franklin River, we were thinking, well, you know, the, that slightly bigger style is where it's at. And um, and probably in the early 2000s, we thought, I'm not sure this is the Syrah or the Shiraz that we're meant to make, you know, when we really sat back and looked at it and looked at how good this cooler climate was for, you know, fine acid lines and beautiful balance and aromatics in Syrah. You know, we really started to change things up. And today, you know, we've the way we approach Sarah is considerably more complex than the way we considered it, you know, 20 years ago. And, you know, from different clones to different planting densities to different row orientations and all these things that have taken, you know, really a good generation and a half to establish. And, you know, today, you know, really, we're really excited to put you know, a, a handful of re, uh, a handful of Syrahs in out into the market, which really encapsulate, I suppose, not only the amazing growing conditions, you know, those dry, dry but cool growing conditions we get in Franklin River, but um, you know, just really highlighting how great the varietal can be um, in a different, totally different spectrum to what a lot of our international markets are very used to seeing from Australia. Definitely. And I, and I think I almost look at them almost as two completely different varieties in, in that we have, you know, such great expression now of moderate kind of slightly warmer um, expressions of, of Shiraz that I, I indulge in, but then also the cool climate styles that are coming out really are just so elegant and perfumed. And I, and I almost just see them in two different ways. I appreciate both of them for, for very, very different reasons. Um, but I think, it, you know, you, you guys in particular are really showcasing just what those southern areas can do in, in WA with Sarah and, and it's incredibly exciting. And um, I think that that may be um, something that we're going to see take off, you know, I mean, you guys are already doing an amazing job and selling it very well, but I, I think we're only going to see this is the start. I think for for Syrah in the in the southern areas. But what um, you said, you know, you talked a little bit about being cooler, and you great have some great sunlight hours. But being so far south, you do are you are getting some cold ocean breezes that come through. Just talk us through a little bit about the Franklin River region as a great growing country. Yeah, I mean, and. Um yeah, so did, I mean, um, simply put, I suppose, uh, we're about 64 kilometres um, from the Southern Ocean. And so with that, you come across from the coastline, you know, you make your way up towards F Franklin River, um, you know, the, 
you've got gradual elevation and by the time you get to Franklin Estate, you sit at around 280 metres above sea level, which is not huge, but, you know, Western Australia fundamentally is, um, you know, pretty flat. And, uh, you know, we joke that you can stand on a beer carton and see across the whole state. But, you know, um, <laughs> but, you know, look, there, there's these in Franklin River, you've got this beautiful valley system. And so you've got these very picturesque um, rolling hills that in winter, are, you know, a, a beautiful rich green rolling hills with, you know, native forest. And just between us and the coast is actually um, one of the biggest, um, set, biggest, uh, um, what do you call it? Um, sorry, I'm having a bit of a moment, but um, na- nature reserves um, in the southern hemisphere, um, you know, an, ex- an extraordinary expanse of native forest. And um, and I suppose that all sets a tone for these quite remote vineyard sites that sit, you know, quite spread out amongst, you know, beautiful rolling hills and, and broad acre farmland. But... Um, really punctuated by, you know, finding these idyllic sites right on top of um, the hillsides, which, you know, are all pretty much um, have this ironstone gravel soil, um, lateritic soil. And and we find that it's within these ironstone lateritic soils that you get incredibly good vine vine health and balance. Um, The water... The water leaches through nicely, and and um, nutrients stay within the soil, and um, the vines get up with that bit of elevation. They get this beautiful um, breeze, cool breeze that comes in off the Southern Ocean, and it makes its way up the river valley, and cools what otherwise might be quite a warm day. Um, by three o'clock in the afternoon, these cool sea breezes hit the vineyard areas and, and you know, cool, cool the vines down and you can almost see it happening in front of you on a daily basis where they, you know, the, the leaves just start to um, perk up a bit with those cool breezes and, um, and then as the sun sets, you know, we have this incredible big open blue sky that takes up, you know, three quarters of the landscape. Um, and and the heat just disappears and we have these incredibly cold nights even in the middle of summer and so when i say incredibly cold you know our daytime temperatures will be 30 degrees and then by you know seven o'clock eight o'clock in the evening we'll be back down to sort of 12 12 14 degrees and then first thing in the morning you know we can be below 10 degrees celsius so you know they it's a very unique location um where you get, you know, and and almost to some degree, I'd say, cool climate doesn't quite is not really the right word for where we are because of the, you know, the the region is quite dry. You know, by December by December by December the the green grass is long gone, and we have this beautiful brown rolling hills or straw-coloured rolling hills and all the grass sort of dies off. And um, and I think in a, in a way, 
um, you know, the vines have to really get their roots down into the soil and survive these, you know, this nice long dry summer. And thankfully for the cool evenings, that's their respite. And so you have this beautiful combination of, you know, dryness, but coolness. And I see that in the wines. They have, the wines have this incredible ability to show generosity and power, yet be pulled back in with this incredible fine line and and acid, you know, this beautiful acid sort of balance that really tightens up the palate and gives it, gives the wines incredible energy. And I think that's a that's a beautiful combination when you think about you know great wines of the world yeah i totally agree with you i think that there's always drive and length that just continues on with a lot of the wines from the great southern and and that it's that that kind of keeps you um paying attention to the wine throughout so uh yeah some some such beautiful examples and so much potential for quite a few different varieties down there and um like i said i think it's only going to only going to get uh, more exciting but what do you see for the future of the great southern regions of wa what are you what are you hoping to see in the next few years well i think already you know we're starting to see some really good young producers um you know doing examples of um dare I say, the more traditional of the varietals. But also, you know, there's plantings going on of all sorts of new things and, and you know, there's some new varietals sort of starting to emerge. I mean, um, you know, at Franklin Estate, we've planted some uh, Tariga Nationale and Grunewald Lina and even those two varietals said in the same sentence, people would be scratching their heads. But I... You know, I, I, I do think that, um, you know, this very unique sort of ability to have incredible hang time and length of season. So, you know, it's not uncommon for our Maverdra, for example, and and um, Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon to be picked, you know, the very last week of April or the first week of May. I mean, that's – by then things are getting very cool, um, but – maintain you know in the good seasons maintain uh the dryness and and it just allows the grapes to hang on the vine and pick up this incredible complexity and intensity of flavor but not push into high alcohols or high sugar levels and so it's a really lovely combination and i think there's actually a lot of opportunity there for all sorts of varietals um and so, yeah, who knows? Who knows? But there's, um, th- I think that's what makes Great Southern really exciting at the moment. It's there's a lot going on, uh, probably a lot behind the scenes. But I think in the next sort of four or five years, you'll start to see these wines pop up, and you know, from guys taking fruit from varietals, you know, that go into, you know, some interesting. Um, you know, pet nat type wines, um, right through to, you know, dry, dry red table wines. But, you know, all across that gamut, I think from that, you know, some of these things are started as a bit of fun, but all of a sudden they've gained a lot of traction and a lot of awareness and people are starting to think, wow, there's, I can actually do this quite seriously. <laughs> and I think, And that's the excitement for me. I think, you know, we'll start to see some incredibly good wines that 
probably shift people's perception of what Western Australia is about, but also what Great Southern's about. And you know, but not to take away from, you know, we're we're very much committed to, you know, Riesling and Syrah. We think those two varietals in their different, you know, guises will. Um, have an incredibly strong future and we're only just touching the surface of those varietals in our, you know, in our family journey. But, um, you know, so, yeah, it's a really exciting region and um, obviously up in Franklin River itself, you know, where, you know, the region's going from strength to strength um, with, you know, new plantings and new varietals and, yeah, it's, it's exciting times. It definitely is, and and you guys. I mean, I know it's not a huge amount of uh, wine estates in your GI, but you guys are really leading the way in that. It's hard to kind of argue with um, with just how strong I think you know Franklin Estate is in terms of its history, the people behind it who are you know wonderful humans such as yourselves, but also that that the strength of of your brand and the wines that you put on the table year after year incredibly consistent um, and and but also have um, developed and a bit like your undulating land have kind of found their way into what really suits your sites and uh, you know it's just an amazing estate and we had we're huge fans over on the east coast if you didn't know that already <laughs> no thank you <laughs> i ask everybody um just to find out a little bit more about your palate if you could only drink three boozy beverages for the rest of your life what would they be and why you know i think this is one of the hardest questions that you know people you know whether it's friends ask me oh you know if i was going to go and choose three wines what would i buy or you know if i could you know what what what's really what are you really enjoying drinking at the moment i just find incredibly hard because you know obviously being in franklin river one of our big things is you know you can't just duck down the road and indulge in um, you know, some of the great, you know, which is why I love traveling with our wine so much. And I've just finished three weeks up the East Coast and to see how great some of those retail, you know, small independent retailers, wine bars, the choice of wines that you now get, I just think, wow, you know, we, um, we, we learn as much as, you know, anyone when we hit the marketplace. Um, and so to choose, you know, three drinks. I mean, um, yeah. Okay, I won't hold you to them. I won't hold you to them, and and you're allowed to change your mind later. <laughs> yeah. Um, so look, I'm going to sit right on the fence and probably just say, look, I mean, I, you know, to go, you know, Riesling's such a big part of it. I'd have to say, um, one of them would have to be, um, you know, a beautiful aged Riesling. Um, Probably from the Falts, um, and mm. take your pick there. Um, I love the power and and viscosity of of those wines. Um, and I'm being very general here, but look, and then I'd, I'd um, yeah, look, I, you know, I'd probably finish with a Negroni. Um, yeah, excellent, strong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then in the middle, look, ah, oh, gosh. Um, you know, um, you know. I always take immense pleasure out of sitting around the kitchen table, and I know this is extremely old-fashioned and out of, you know, unpopular at the moment. But some of these, um, you know, to sit sit across the table 
from my father and enjoy, um, you know, one of his beautiful salad Bordeaux's, you know. Um, I think, um, you know, probably not so much about the wine as um, about a man, you know, you sit across the table from. So, um, so yeah, look, I think that, you know, they're, they're – and they sort of pay homage to our roots a lot too with our, you know – the story of Franklin Estate. So I know that's been very vague, but uh, <laughs> but look, I think that's where we... Look, I, I completely agree with you. I, I don't really care what's trending or what's it, what, what everybody else wants to drink. Sometimes it really is putting yourself in a moment with great company and, and looking at some of those great wines of the world where you learn so much. And yeah, so I, I, I think that Bordeaux's a wonderful area to drink from, especially when you've got some great bottle age, man. They're life-changing wines, and, and I drank them with my father too. So I, uh, I completely understand where you're coming from. Hunter, it has been so fantastic to talk to you. Um, I, you know, we just love what you do. Wines are absolutely superb, and, uh, you know, it's from here to – to outer space for you guys. Who knows what, what will come next, but um, I, I hope to be along for the ride and I really appreciate you um, taking some time to speak to me today. It's It's been a long time coming and I'm, I'm really grateful. It's been my pleasure, Shanta. Thank you so much. I appreciate it and um, look forward to catching up next time. Sounds good. Cheers to you, Hunter. Thank you again. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.